We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, and I'm thrilled to introduce my new podcast, TE1. TE1 will chronicle a 60-year evolution of the tight end position, from its origins as an obscure, overlooked blocking role to the versatile superstar position that it is today. I'll explore the evolution of the position through conversations with some of the all-time game-changing tight ends. And just like the incredible tight ends we sit down with on my new show, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by DoorDash, BetOnline.ag, and NFL Sunday Ticket. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius, and the Lakers are in the Western Conference Finals for the first time since 2010 after a 119-96 whooping of the Houston Rockets. Finishing the series in five games, Lakers win 4-1. to It was a game that was... Pretty much a formality from the beginning. Lakers went up, I believe, 31 to 11 in the first, you know, eight minutes or so. And the Rockets, you know, pressed down to eight or seven. uh, And and then the Lakers would turn up their defensive heat a little bit again. It was never a close game. So Lakers close out the Rockets, a, a team that, you know, was a peculiar matchup for the Lakers. But just like the first series, the Lakers, the result got more and more favorable toward the Lakers as the series went on, culminating in a Game 5 blowout. Darius, uh, 
you are one of the the few people, man, that's in in our sphere that was covering the team the last time we were really good. I and I would love to hear your thoughts on how you're feeling, what you thought about tonight, and just kind of how we how we got here. I know that's a lot, but uh, yeah, man, it's it feels like a a golden year at least of Lakers basketball uh, with us back in the Western Conference Finals. It's interesting, man, because I've always been one of those people who is optimistic and appreciative of a really good team Mm -hmm. right and um it's been a long time since we've had like a really good team to root for right Mm -hmm. like there have been and i think the nature of my particular type of fandom is sort of investing in the positives that the team does have right and so I was an advocate of almost all of the Lakers young players and mm-hmm. I was and if you've been listening to this podcast for long enough you you would remember that I was like supportive of Luke Walton and and, and one of the only times where I was like openly frustrated with the team was probably around like the Byron Scott hire and, and some of the stuff around that but I've always been the type to try to like find the glass half full right and so to now have this caliber of team to root for, it's like I'm overjoyed, but there's also a part of me too that understands how hard it actually is to win. And so a part of me then gets frustrated when sure. you see such a good team start to like play down to the level of its competition at times or or especially during the playoffs where you know that they know better and they here's sort the, of Here's like, the thing. You're right, bro. You're right. You're right. But like, let's take a moment to appreciate that the Houston Rockets have a very strong argument for the second or third best team in the NBA over the course of the last few years, right? Like, yes. They've come very close to doing that. The fact that we can play down to the level of competition in the second round of the playoffs against a team that's been there, that I think has some fundamental and fatal flaws to them, as we talked about in the, in the last pod, but handling them the way that we did to the point where we're like frustrated they're only up 11 at halftime. I was right? too. I, was I know you were. <laughs> I was frustrated. Bro, we had that game from jump. That we we broke their spirit in the same way that we did with Portland, and this is I mean job's not done right. Like Kobe once said, we got you know most likely the Clippers, but possibly the Nuggets in the next round, and then two very good teams in the East who we shouldn't be like oh you know we thought of the Clippers as the only team. If we get past the Clippers, job's still not done. We got got something uh, got a good team waiting for us in the finals if that's the case. But the fact that the Lakers overwhelmed a team. Houston yeah. was supposed to be a tough matchup for us, right? We smoked them in this series. I know we were, you know, we went down 1-0. I would, I'm of the belief that the long layoff with the the boycott, and then we had a game five that was just a formality against Portland. Like, both of our game one losses came when we hadn't played an important game in a long time. Yeah. Right, in a game where we were, and so, but... 
we're kind of like that diesel engine where once we revved up and once we figured a team out, it was over, man. And so just like the fact that we can play down to the competition, quote unquote, in a series like this gives you an idea. Job not done and there are, there are different challenges coming up ahead of us. But just the caliber of this Lakers team is this is a phenomenal team that grew right under our noses, man. They're so good. They're, they're just so good. And this has been... It's been fast, right? And so, and I think that that's part of the thing that I, maybe I'm still adjusting to, maybe you're still adjusting to, maybe me most, like more so than than you, right? Is that this team had LeBron last year, but it was like a wonky roster and they still had a bunch of young guys. And then they traded all of that for Anthony Davis. And then it was like that hodgepodge free agency season right after Kawhi chose the Clippers. And there was, I feel like, a lot of, and prob- and not probably too much skepticism around this team through the preseason and then even into the regular season and then a lot of second guessing about how good they were based off of like the strength of schedule and it like we were probably 25 to 30 games into the season before t- before nationally the narrative started to be like oh the Lakers are really good and right. then there we was a- still Soft schedule early on, right? Like all that. And then, yeah, it's still skepticism. Well, also, too, after the Christmas Day loss against the Clippers, Mm -hmm. there was still, they haven't beaten the Clippers. And then you remember they went east on that road trip. They they got Got smoked by by Philly. Philly, Mm -hmm. And then they lost to the Bucks. And then there was Boston. They got smoked by Boston. And there was a lot of, um, remember, too, Toronto came in to LA early during the season and they didn't have mm-hmm. a full roster and they smoked the Lakers like yeah yeah but just by playing harder than them and that was a home game for for LA. So I feel like throughout the season there has been a lot of of yeah, they have LeBron and AD but mm-hmm. right? Like and maybe that's natural. I don't know. Um I think that all sort of non-champions get second guessed in a way until they win. Um these playoffs though and we're going to talk much more about this in the second half of the pod, but these playoffs the Lakers have really shown me something and and what they've shown me is is like this willingness to do exactly what's necessary against a against a specific opponent and play hard and play smart and optimize the talent that they have on the floor in order to win. And look, man, they've played, they've played 10 playoff games and they've won eight of them. And Mm -hmm. as you mentioned, over the course of both of their series so far, they've gotten stronger as, as the series has, has gone on and the opponent has looked less and less convinced that they even had a chance to to win this like Mm -hmm. to to even to win that particular game forget the series right right? and i thought that was even more true against houston it goes back to sort of like that rubik's cube idea right like Mm -hmm. they houston knew that they were solved yep 
and that the only thing that they could really do was play their best. But there was a mentally you could tell that conjuring your best when you know that you're beat is like a tough deal, right? Mm-hmm. Like I re- it it's sort of like walking into your midterm in college and oh, here we go. And here comes the analogy. And you studied all night, <laughs> but you know, uh I kind of forgot what I was reading because it was three in the morning and my eyes were blurry. And so now <laughs> that it's so now that it's test time, it's like I I think I could do it, but mm, you don't nah. have that confidence, right? There's not that not there's a difference between like hope and knowledge, right? Like by by game three, both teams knew the Lakers were better than the Rockets. And they they knew that it was just a formality in a lot of ways by that point. Yeah, going into game four, the Lakers I thought the key stretch of this series was was it game three where Houston was up, I think, by one. Yeah, at halftime. Mm-hmm. Or even going into the fourth quarter, it was oh, right. yeah, tied. They, mm-hmm. It was right. tied, or they were up by one. But yeah, but by the end of that game, they they knew that was that was it. I thought that was the key stretch of this series, though, was that fourth quarter where yes, basically those teams had played each other relatively even to that point. Even though I think over the course of those, what was it now? By that point, it was 11 quarters. I think the Lakers had shown that they were the better team. But Houston still had a bunch of confidence, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it wasn't like they were broken. By that point, they just weren't. But in that fourth quarter, the Lakers basically did everything that they were supposed to. And it was based off of that small lineup. Mm -hmm. And, And so they were playing smaller, right? And then in game four, they... They went small the entire game, and then in Game 5, they just repeated that again. And by the end of Game 5, it was like the Lakers were basically 30 points in a single game better mm-hmm. than, than this team. And when you talk about sort of like enjoying that or celebrating that, you're right, man. Like I've been—the year I took over for in blue and gold, right? And, and I'd been writing— for the site before that when Kurt Heelan still still ran the site. But the year I took over, it was February of 2010, right? And so four months later, they went on to win their championship over the Celtics. So you're right. Like, I've been at this a long time. Mm-hmm. And and I've watched a lot of good basketball and, and, and written about it. But our fandom goes back a lot longer than how long we've been doing sort of stuff like this, right? right? Like watching game tape and trying to write about things or break things down or explain stuff to people when we have in-depth conversations. Our fanhood goes goes back to when we were four and five and six years old mm-hmm. and, watching Magic, yep. and, and watching Magic Johnson and listening to Chick Hearn. And there is a level that a great team can get to. Right. And we I'm not sure if this Lakers team is going to win the championship. I'm not sure if they're going to go down in like the annals of the history books as as like one of those teams. Right. Right. But I can say that in this series, they showed me like there was there were there were glimmers of that. They showed me some of that. And over the course of the playoffs, they've shown me this sort of ability to say we can ramp it up. And 
and we can lock in and we can play to a level on both sides of the ball, frankly, but especially defensively, that sort of inspires you to believe in them. And that that feeling of belief, that's the thing that feels familiar to me at this point. You you talk about greatness. Um, I'm of the belief that this is a this is a great defensive team specifically, and the the ability to touch greatness. Uh, I've loved this experience, man. Of of covering the team. This is the first year where because like you know when when you're not covering the team, you got a job. You get to you know you you watch the game at seven thirty usually, right? And you enjoy the game. And then you got you got things to do, right? You got you've got life where you're not able to go back and watch tape, right? Most of the people listening to the pod, like y- y'all got stuff to do, right? That, that is not, that's why you rely on us. That's why you listen to the show to try to distill that a little bit, right? And so being in the position to do that, I'm learning so much about basketball because it is, this is basketball when everybody's locked in, right? And basketball is so, is so built on, uh, defensive basketball is so built on focus, and the thing that I'm seeing on the defensive end, I'm going to try to explain this without without visual help, where defense is a sequence. Think of it as a, so say James Harden beats somebody off of the dribble, then LeBron has to rotate over, right? And this is determined beforehand by the game plan of if he drives this way from this position, this guy rotates over. And that'll change in a couple of different spots depending on who has the ball and where the ball is on the court. But let's just, this one scenario will be indicative of kind of how defense works uh, in in a theoretical basis that is where the Lakers touch greatness is LeBron has to rotate over. So now the guy that LeBron left is open. Which means that if the ball gets swung over to that guy, somebody else has to help LeBron. So let's say that's KCP. And KCP does that. and But now the guy that KCP left is open. And somebody has to help KCP out. Somebody rotates over to do that, right? Maybe, maybe, the, guy, maybe the guy that uh, KCP left attacks the closeout and he drives and kicks. So now you need somebody to do the same thing that LeBron did that first time and rotate over to stop penetration. And then they kick it out to the guy that that guy left, right? And so it's this ongoing sequence of help and recover, help rotate and recover. During the regular season, if you can get like two or three of those where you have rotated over, closed out to the guy, made him drive and kick or pass, like if you can get two two or three passes, that's a really good defensive possession. The Lakers, when they're all locked in, they get to five, six, they, they expire the shot clock, right? Where it may not end in a shot clock violation, but it ends in a desperation type of attempt. Or if there's a drive to the rim, guys, and, and say they don't kick it out for that three, guys have to finish around Anthony Davis. And that's why we're, when we're going small, LeBron is capable of, of rim protecting when he wants to do that too. And so where the Lakers touch greatness is that ability to get five, six rotations in, and, which is something that most teams cannot do to the level that, that we have. I will take that even one step further, is that to me, it's not even that that sort of like, obviously it is that, that shows you sort of this level of, of greatness. But you know what I see that I equate to greatness is 
that the Lakers have the ability to shut down advantage halfway through one of those types of possessions. Oh, this right? is a great point. Yes, even if like somebody screws up a little bit, you can clean it up. So, so what the Lakers did to Houston that I thought – so Houston – what Houston tries to do is exactly the offensive sequencing that you described to sort of put a defense on their heels. And when a defense is super locked in, they will continue to they will continue to to help help the helper rotate behind. Help help the helper rotate behind, right? Because what Houston wants wants to do is drive kick, drive kick, drive kick, right? Swing swing, open shot. Like there is no the ball moves faster than how fast a player can move to rotate. Mm-hmm. And then there's an open shot. What the Lakers were doing to Houston and and why I think that they're – what I equate to sort of the, the Lakers' greatness is that after one or two of those driving kicks, the Lakers have, have rotated effectively to the point that – and everyone has rotated back to a man that mm-hmm. there is, there is not another driving kick opportunity like basically yes. we like the possession is now reset the yeah it doesn't even get to those 5 to 6 right it's like it's reset and we're stagnant and we've got to start from the beginning that's a great point like we have extinguished your advantage and and when you have the ability to to snuff out advantage defensively and turn things back to being neutral that's where you win defensive possessions before you force a missed shot because the goal of what the offense is trying to achieve is generate that advantage within the context of their offensive scheme in order to generate the shot that they want right yes and what the lakers were doing to houston was we know what shot you want you mm-hmm. want the open three-pointer preferably from the corner Right. Or we want to lay up at the rim. So what the Lakers did is, is they said, you want to lay up at the rim? We're stopping that. How are we stopping that? We're trapping you. You're you're you are now going to pass out of that. Well, guess what? Our rotation is there now. Now. Now you swing again. The rotation is there. The shot that you wanted to be there is not there. That's where the driving kick would be, but the Lakers have extinguished it because they understand the personnel that's on the floor, and that's where the greatness is. It's where it's where IQ and scheme and athleticism and defensive Length. ability all Length. collide. Yes. It's right yes. in the middle of that Venn diagram, and the Lakers lived there for like, 80% of the possessions of Bro, this series. So I love this idea of extinguishing advantage because it's exactly right. Like uh, there were there were some when Houston's really whipping the ball around where they could get that five, six passes or, you know, uh, into the sequence. But you're absolutely right that more often than not at number three or number four, by the time that happened, the we've eroded the advantage to the point where it's a stagnant possession and they're starting over. The thing that... Darius, it's insane to be able to do that out of trapping. The reason that trapping does not usually exist in the NBA is because it's four on three everywhere else. The guy who has the ball in his hands is going to be able to deliver that pass nine times out of ten without it being deflected, no matter how big you are, no matter how long you are. You remember what Kobe said about this team? He's like, this is the biggest team I've ever seen in my life. 
And it's not just because we've got like JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard. It's like they are big all around. Danny Green's got to be one of the biggest two guards in the NBA, right? And we never talk about Danny Green in terms of the size of this team, right? KCP is like 6'4", 6'5", and he's one of our little guys. Like this team is – and so even with that though, if you're big, you're supposed to be slow. Yeah. And so if you've got a four on three everywhere else, right? We trapped James Harden. He passes to whoever the guy uh, is that's next to him, right? On the short roll or, or however they, they scheme it. And so now it's a four on three from there. Extinguishing advantage out of that because that is giving the most severe advantage that you can. So the ability to, to we're not just talking about like drive and or switching, right? We're not yeah. just talking about out of switches where you're rotating and, and closing out and doing all of that. We're doing that out of out of situations where we're saying that guy's not gonna score. And we're still capable of saying, but you guys aren't gonna get the shot you want either. Well also too, like and this speaks to now let's put it back on Houston a little bit here. Okay. And this is where it speaks to Houston's limitations as a team, and this is why I love the playoffs, the Lakers' ability to continue to push an opponent towards the weaknesses on their team, right? And that's what the playoffs are about to me, is how can you, how can you as an opponent say, like, like, this is us. We're the Lakers. How are we going to say we're going to steer you towards the 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 parts of your individual players' games that are not as strong? And how are we going to do that possession after possession after possession? So that tells me a couple of things. A, the Lakers were really good at doing that, right? But B, Houston also had too many players who had very specific weaknesses that the Lakers were able to sort of press on over and over and over again, right? Like, and we've talked about this now for going on four podcasts, but like, yeah, we're going to make PJ Tucker drive. We're going to make Robert Covington drive. We're going to make Russell Westbrook shoot. Mm -hmm. We're going to make James Harden pass, right? Now, James Harden's a great passer, but, but... Not only are we going to make him pass, but after that, we're going to prey on his on his want to then stand. Yes. Right. So so every every little flaw that Houston had within within their personnel, within their ethos as a team in terms of how they want to play. The Lakers played up those weaknesses and tried to diminish their strengths, and they did it over and over and over again. And so when you talk about breaking a team— I was just going to say this. Yes. Please. Please. No, that's it. That's it. Is That's why teams break. Is like that thing that you do— that your team does. Portland's an elite offense. We talked about this, right? Like Portland was an eight seed. They they weren't going to win a title or anything, but they got to that point because of their offense. Certainly not their defense. So our ability to lock them down defensively, we've been able to do that with two straight high end offenses. And the reason for the breaking the spirit is because it's like, oh, that thing that you like to do, we're not going to allow you to do that anymore. Yeah, you're or, going to need it to beat us with plan B, C, and, and D. Because we're not really going to let you have plan B either. Or we're going to make that so freaking hard, right? It, like, 
we're, we're just going to make it so hard for you to do that every single possession that that you're you're not going to want to right like there is a discipline sure there is a discipline that is required in order to do the hard thing over and over and over and over again. Yeah, our right? defense can be beat, but it's it's very difficult when we're clicking. And so when and when you're able to make someone's life that hard, possession after possession after possession, and and you're consistently telling someone do the thing you're not as good at. Okay, do it. All right, do yeah. it. <laughs> now do it again. All right, do it. Right? Yeah. Like and over and over and over again. It's like it's like if you had your kid who's like right-handed and then you tell them, "Yeah, so eat breakfast left-handed." Oh, good They're job. You're going to spill sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, good job. All right, so at lunch they pick up the fork again with like their right hand and you're like, "Oh no, eat lunch left-handed." Mhm. Right. Yeah. And then by dinner time, after their left hand is probably all cramped up the whole damn day from eating every meal left handed, you're just like, oh, no, you thought you were going to be able to eat your meal right handed. No, no, no. Do it left handed again. What's what's going on in your house, Darius? Nothing. I don't do that no. to my kids. Okay. <laughs> but that's absolutely the case. Yeah, man. Where Just the ability to take away what a team does best, what they rely on, what everything is built upon and being able to, you know, impact plan B and plan C while doing that yeah. just makes it just extraordinarily difficult. So this was a very joyful win, a very joyful series with the Lakers flash greatness on the defensive end. We're going to take a quick break and talk about one of the reasons why the Lakers have been able to do that, specifically with the construction of their roster. Sundays are coming back with the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live, out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. You've counted on restaurants, and now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash has saved me on many nights where I've been working on an LFR video and haven't had time to make anything, and it's been so convenient to have the food that I want to eat show up at my door, and now they do that in a way where your food will be left safely right outside of your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. You can choose from your favorite restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's all one word. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order of $15 or more with DoorDash. So Lakers made a lineup change in the middle of this series. Uh, They started... With their normal lineup, starting JaVale McGee, playing Dwight Howard off the bench as they normally would, got handled pretty easily in game one. And by game two, Dwight was not in the rotation and JaVale was, you know, playing fewer minutes. By game three, JaVale was out. Uh, or, or JaVale, did JaVale sit in game three? 
Either way, JaVale, JaVale played less and less. And by JaVale the time started, JaVale started game three. Game three, but sat in the second half of game but three. But sat Thank in you. the second half. Yeah. Thank you. And then in game four, didn't play at all. In game five, played in garbage time at the end. I really wanted that that three he took. Oh, that, that would have been great. That was a highly disrespectful shot that I yes. completely supported. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, so... Lakers inserted Markeith Morris, who was tremendous in this series. And, and really great this game. In game yeah. five, like, shot the lights out and, yeah. I thought, twisted the knife. With the three with the threes that he was making, I thought, were the twist the knife threes. Mm-hmm. Personally. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Anyways. And he was, he was part of those great rotations. He's got a little bit of physicality to him. He was, he was fantastic. And it speaks to... The Lakers have the ability to go big or small in ways in which they are still, it's still part of their identity and they still play with force. Like one of the things about, we, we talked about this more and I don't want to get too into this with the Houston side of thing again, but the idea of spacing on offense, the defensive challenge is covering that space. And I would argue that the Lakers have if not the two best, two of the very three or four best small ball players in the world, in LeBron James and AD. Not, I mean, they're two of the best players in the world anyway, but there's no inherent advantage to going small. There's the advantage of going skilled in which you find more guys who are smaller that can do the skilled things that are required on the perimeter. You need to be able to defend the perimeter and you need to be able to space the floor on offense. And spacing the floor can mean a couple of different things. But guys like JaVale and Dwight, defensively, all of those rotations, they can't fly around the way they can hedge high on a ball screen. And they have done all right. They did a great job of that against Dame. But what this series demanded didn't fit their skill set. No problem. We go to just these monster small ball lineups and smoke Houston. The Lakers have a degree of roster versatility that's really impressive. It reminds me of the 0-9 team, where... Hmm. We started out really big, and then with Bynum and Powell and uh, and Ariza, you could say this about the 2010 team, but I what I always remember about 2009 was how fun that bench unit was, and they would just fly around, and you had you know Powell and Lamar, and we'd close with that lineup with those two and Kobe and Ariza out there, and we so we could be this very big team, but also very fast and skilled and this team is reminiscent of of that to me what what is it about this what, what is the impact of having that type of roster versatility well i just think it, it allows you to play any style that you want i think it allows you to dictate things even when it feels like the other team is dictating to you mm-hmm. and i think that that contributes too to some of the, the like demoralization of an opponent right Mm -hmm. and and so let's go back to the portland series portland started to play both their centers together for longer and longer stretches because they had had some success with that right and so they were trotting out yusuf nurkic and hassan whiteside and they were like okay well you're gonna play big we can play big too we're gonna defend the paint Right, We're going to make all your inside shots hard, and this is what we're going to do. And so the Lakers were just like, oh, okay. We'll, <laughs> still, play our, like, we'll still play our big men, right? We'll still start with JaVale McGee. Dwight Howard's going to get his, his regular minutes. But 
one of the big men that we have, his name is Anthony Davis. And yeah. guess what? He, Anthony Davis is going to break you. He's going to isolate your slow-footed big man. He's going to attack the offensive boards from from the perimeter where you're not able to box him out. He's going to run the floor offensively and change ends from defense to offense at a speed that your big men can't match. And over the and then team that with LeBron James, right, who is going to do the same things and he's going to attack the offensive glass and he's going to get downhill on your wings who can't guard, guard him and, and he's going to make your slow-footed big guys hedge on pick and rolls or play in drop coverage and then he's going to spin off of them and finish at the rim anyway and we're going to stay big and we're going to beat you anyway. Like, we're big, you're big, who cares, our bigs are better. That's it. Yep. And and that's and it's because like it's not just their bigs like LeBron James is big. That's why I feel like we we have this conversation without or not not we necessarily but just this conversation about the Lakers' size is had without LeBron James. Like his yeah he's a, a point guard essentially right. He's a ball handler and a perimeter player. But how many times has he just like big brothered a guy in both series where like there's. Other teams run out of guys eventually. That's why Portland went toward those two big lineups, right? Is like, this Lakers team is massive and plays with force. We need to be able to counter that. So like, okay, you've accounted for our big men, our ADs, yeah. JaVales, and Dwight Howards, and all of that. But you've got Gary Trent on LeBron James. Yeah. yeah. Right? You've got Austin Rivers trying to defend LeBron James. Or, or he James was trying Harden. To defend, he was trying to defend Anthony Davis when they went ultra small. That's right. Right? And that was the thing. And so fast forward to the Rocket series now. Mm -hmm. Houston's like, we won game one, and we won it because your big men were unplayable. And if you keep doing that, we're going to continue to win those minutes, right? Now, an argument can be made whether or not that was actually true. The Lakers had a good plus minus with JaVale McGee on the floor. It was really sort of like that Dwight Markeith Morris pairing in the second unit. And Rondo played a really bad game in his first game back from after being out six months. So maybe hindsight tells you that that could have just been a bad game. And that was that, right? That said, Frank Vogel said, oh, you know what? We're going to take a big man out of our lineup. AD, you're going to play more center. Markeith Morris, you're going to basically get all, all of those minutes. Kuzma's minutes, you're going to get bumped up. You're going to play a little bit more power forward. Or you're going to play in, in those lineups with, instead of Dwight out there, it's going to be you or it's going to be Morris and LeBron and Kuzma anchoring that second unit front, front line. And we're just going to go smaller. And mm -hmm. then Morris played well. And it was like, oh, oh, okay. Well, let's keep that in our back pocket a little mm -hmm. bit, right? Mm -hmm. Game three starts, we're going to play JaVale. But then JaVale sort of tweaks his ankle. And he's not 100% anyway. And he missed an er, a early game rotation. And Vogel had probably seen enough. And so he said, you know what? F it. Second half, we're just going to start Marquise Morris. Mm -hmm. And then the Lakers blew him the hell out of the water. And then, in the, and then in game four, they blew him out of the water basically the entire game again. And it was all based off of that small ball lineup. And this idea of the Lakers being able to say, oh, the thing that you do really well, Spider-Man meme. I'm mm -hmm. going to point at your ass. I can do that too. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, it's like the old Mortal Kombat game of 
I don't know if you ever played Mortal Kombat. Of course. Mm -hmm. You remember Shang Tsung? Shang Tsung would Mm -hmm. like basically his little power was he was going to morph in and he was going to morph and become and he could become any player that was on the board. Uh And he's just like, oh, okay, you're the dude who has swords for hands. Well, guess what? I'm going to be Liu Kang this time. I'm not going to (laughs) be Shang Tsung. I'm going to be Liu Kang and I'm just going to jump kick your ass right in the face. And so the Lakers, (laughs) the like the Lakers are basically just like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to morph into whatever version we think is going to be best. And this series against Houston, they went small and in game. How does Houston win, bro? How does Houston win? They bomb you with threes. They score in the paint and they get to the free throw line. It's driving kick basketball. Yeah. Right. Well, so in this game, the Lakers outshot the Rockets. They were plus six behind like six makes right so they were plus 18 from behind the arc they were plus five at the foul line 17 makes to uh 22 makes for for the lakers and they were better at points in the paint as well right and so everything that houston relies on Mm -hmm. in terms of like analytics basketball right beat them at their own game they beat them at their own game they out rockets the rockets Yep, And that sort of versatility, that ability, and it's all built around LeBron and Anthony, or like LeBron and Anthony Davis, right? Because they can play up a position, they can play down a position, they can defend any position that's on the floor, right? They can close out to the perimeter. Mm -hmm. They can close out to the perimeter. They can switch, right? They can defend the perimeter, right, exactly. They can defend the perimeter all on their own. In fact, they can switch so well that Anthony Davis defended Russell Westbrook this entire playoff series. On the purpose. entire series. That was right. his assignment. His right. assignment. And one of the reasons why they did that was because they knew not only could he sort of stay in front of Westbrook from a foot speed standpoint, but Davis is also the team's best help defender overall. Right. And Mm -hmm. so they used him as as sort of this queen on the chessboard defensively to move all over the floor. Yep. Travel the furthest, the farthest distance. Yep. Right. And so there there's A.D. sitting at the foul line and then on a rotation, he's exiting out to the weak side corner to contest a three pointer. Then he's rotating back to the paint to defensive rebound or 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 contest shots inside the restricted area. And he did that all series. He could do it as a power forward. He could do it while defending the other teams, basically like their quote unquote center, but a guy who's played point guard his whole freaking life. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you, and then you tack on LeBron James to that. And it's like, it doesn't even seem fair at this point. And for Houston, it wasn't fair. No, no, this series was always going to go that way if we were locked in defensively right and that, that's been something that's been so impressive to me in the bubble is it, it or in these playoffs is that once we lock in man like we are we were several tiers better than these first couple of teams right and houston was a team that i was i've had in the back of my mind all year right like can yeah, you we have talked mm-hmm. about this yes yes and it was a formality by the end of a five-game series in which they dropped the first game. 
Like, it was a formality in by game four how this was going to go. And that, you know, showing that ability, that shape-shifting, that chameleon, we're going to, whatever it is, whatever style of basketball you want to play, we're going to be able to play it with you in the first two rounds has been one is pick and roll basketball. The other is drive and kick basketball out of isolation. And they're a little different, right? They're similar, but they're a little different. But now we transfer to what will be a different series either way, right? We assume yeah. it's going to be the Clippers, but the the Nuggets pose a, they're a different stylistic team than, than any of the, uh, of the others. We're going to, we're going to have a preview of the Western conference finals, regardless of who we play. This is not going to be that. But what I can we with the Clippers can we shape shift into guarding a team that's in some ways they're actually kind of similar to the Blazers and Houston offensively, but they're wing heavy, right? Yeah. And defensively, right? They've they've got the ability to to rotate. They've got these great, you know, Paul George is a great defender. He's an off-screen shooter. He didn't get enough credit for what a good shooter he is. Yeah. Um, the the Clippers are a, I would argue, even more than than the Nuggets are just a different stylistic team. Can we shape shift into that style of play? I think they can. I think a lot of that is going to depend on LeBron James, though. Mm. And, and and so we'll get way more into that. Should that be the matchup, and when we really start to talk matchups, but. Th- in the same way that, like, I had talked about how, um, and you and I had talked talked about how the Houston series was sort of a LeBron James series, and I think we thought a lot of that meant, like, offensively, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think that a potential Clippers series, for example, is a LeBron James defensive series. Oh, interesting. Where where I think that he's obviously going to be super important offensively, right? Like, he's LeBron James. He is sort of the driver of the team's offense. But the Clippers are a very wing-heavy team. Um, He's going to have to defend Kawhi Leonard for, like, extended stretches. Hmm. That series. I don't think so. I don't think we're going to have LeBron on him very often. I think Kuz's development as a wing defender gives us some minutes there, right? Maybe not the primary guy. Danny Green played the last eight seasons with Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. Some size. And Definitely. I thought, right, KCP got smoked by him, but I don't think we're going to see a ton of KCP. And then when we really needed it, we'd have Anthony Davis on him. The yeah. Other- I thought, though, when the Lakers beat the Clippers over that weekend series, uh-huh. LeBron took up that challenge and sure. he... He stonewalled him a couple of times at the point of attack. 100%. And and we saw that in the bubble game, right, as well. So I'm not saying LeBron can't do this, but there's tremendous value. And I think that, again, we'll get into this more, but in terms of just philosophical approaches, right, we talked about in this series, in the preview for this Houston series, about making Houston, getting into scramble mode defensively and how we could do that. There is tremendous value in, I want to... I would want to wear down Kawhi Leonard. I yeah. want to make Kawhi Leonard play defense. I also think that if the Houston and the Rockets are not similar stylistically, but they have a couple of things in common. One is they're 
much better three-point shooting team than I think people realize. They don't have a Westbrook where it's like, oh, I'm going to you know, yeah. have Anthony Davis yeah. on him. And so like those rotations are going to be more difficult, and the ball is going to be ending up in a capable three-point shooter's hands where a lot of times in this series with Houston, it was like, oh, ball got rotated to Russ and he's wide open, but we'll live with that. They and, also have more skill players overall who could like make a play off of the dribble for themselves. For sure. Even right. their worst guy that's on the floor at that um like a Pat Beverly or even a Marcus Morris. But to like, me those those guys are similar to Houston's non-Westbrook, non-Harden guys. Y- yes, that, they like, could still make a play. Right, they can still make a play, but if you're asking me how I want a possession to go, if it's you know, Morris attacking a closeout and having to either ha- make that pull up drive or kick out decision. Like we've won that possession. If everyone does their job, I am very curious to see if the trapping that we did on Harden is something that we extend toward Kawhi, very different type of player. I saw Denver doing this in game five and I was like, huh, Kawhi, like Kawhi's for one, Kawhi's improved a ton as a passer. Look at this. I'm already getting into the Clippers preview, but, uh, He's improved a ton as a passer, but there were a few possessions where, like, it, it gave him problems, and it takes them out of like, we can't just be like, I hope Kawhi Leonard misses this twelve footer that he's like freaking sure. automatic on, right? So, aside from just like individual one on one type matchups, I do think that in some way the trap and scramble rotations that's in our back pocket with. The Clippers, and that's something that I think that had we not had this experience against Houston, the guy on the ball is different, Harden versus Kawhi, but the rotations on the back end really aren't. Yeah, also, too, what I will say is that even though whoever the Lakers play in the Western Conference Finals, they are going to be just um, a different type of team, and I do think the Lakers have the flexibility to play any style that any team brings to them and that they have the roster flexibility centered on LeBron and AD to, to, to sort of change up and meet you head on with whatever you want to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, What I will say though, is that even though Portland was nothing like Houston and Houston is nothing like, you know, the Clippers or the Nuggets. Um, ingredients from both of those teams exist in whoever the Lakers will face in the Western Conference Finals, and in an inter- and in a very roundabout way, but I think a very useful way. Those series will end up giving the Lakers a certain amount of prep for the types of things they will need to do, even if they're not facing those same types of players, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And there's going to be value in that. And the diversity that this roster was able to show over the first two two rounds can only give Frank Vogel confidence that he can change up and go to something different and his players are adaptable enough to be able to execute that. And it was, just in getting back to Houston, I think that was one of, that that was probably one of the most, like, one of the reasons why this series was so rewarding to me, personally, 
just in terms of watching it as a fan. It was this idea of, oh, yeah, well, you want to play this way? We got that, too. Yep. And that's, I'm telling you, man, that's just a great feeling to have as a fan. And it does remind me somewhat of, like, those... 2009 2010 Lakers right because though but those teams were much more forceful in sort of dictating that to you and then the opponent was trying to match up and like they couldn't they like they couldn't do it but the the league has changed so much in 10 years and stylistically opponents are like more diverse and so the way For that sure. this the way that this particular Lakers roster has been built is so interesting, um, but but also just the diversity there within their own roster makes it so 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 that they have a bunch of clubs in their bag that they can go to to hit any kind of shot that they need to hit right like on the course and, and that's going to serve them well regardless of who they face. That's right. That's right. Uh, they they touch greatness a couple of times in this series, in these playoffs, um, but we're halfway there. Got a Western Conference Finals preview coming up in a couple of days, but uh, until then, enjoy it, Laker fans. Uh, it's been a minute since we were in this position, and uh, after such a tough year, I hope everybody's enjoying getting to watch their favorite team really kick some ass in these... Uh, Western... Conference finals. That's like, right. I, I mean, on a level, on one level, like this was sort of expected, right? Like this is what we wanted. I mm -hmm. remember before the season started, I said, what would success look like to you? And I think you asked the same thing to me. And we both sort, sort of said, we weren't sure if this team was good enough to win the title. We for sure wanted them out of the second round right. and into the conference finals. And then if they got to that point, we could see how good they were. To I, go I wanted further. this team to be a title contender. Right? Yes. They have cleared that bar with ease. I actually think that we'll see. We'll see. You know, the, the last two rounds, hopefully there are two more rounds, right, are going to be harder than the first two. That's the way it's supposed to be. Um, but... This uh, this team has touched greatness a couple of times, especially on the defensive end. Uh, so yeah, uh, preview coming up in a couple of days for the Western Conference Finals once we know who that's going to be. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. Campbell in and out. The ball is tipped and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe 
Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot locked down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back. Didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Powell. There's the move. Two, one, one. Unbelievable. Brian. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? The NBA and NHL are playing for gold, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Get in on all the action, including a new NBA bracket contest with plenty of chances to win. MLB season is pushing into fall, and there's no shortage of ways to bet with hundreds of odds, futures, and props. So take advantage of the return of sports, and remember, the casino never closes. Check it out all day and all night. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag, promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.